a long time ago on a comics page far, far away. Greetings and welcome to May the Panel Be With You, the Star Wars comic book podcast brought to you by the Punch-Up Entertainment Network. I am your humble host, Mike Gargoni, and joining me, as always, the womp rat to my T-16 back home, John Campbell. Aw, man. (laughs) You know, some of these are more flattering than others. Hi, Mike. John, it's because you're always in my sights. Aw. Now you're getting to, like, elementary school uh, Valentine's card kind of phrasing, and I like it. (laughs) <laughs> Look, if there is a long, proud tradition in my life of buying the Star Wars branded Valentines oh. in elementary and middle school, so hey, hey. this all comes back full circle. Oh yeah, yeah, I man, that's interesting. I remember giving out so many different ones: uh, GI Joe, X Men. I'm sure some Star Wars was in there too. Uh, but yeah. <laughs> uh, oh man, well we're we're still cranking away on this uh, Star Wars. New Hope adaptation, aren't we? Cranking Away is an incredibly apt description of the masturbatory writing we're going to be covering today in, yes, issue number five of the original Marvel Comics Group Star Wars adaptation from 1977. Mm. Today we are going to be talking about number five, which was released on November 1st, 1977. Mm -hmm. Uh, We've got a lot of the same creatives as we did before. we got Roy Thomas on writing, and boy does he just really crank on those words this whole issue <laughs> is writing oh, yeah. you, he won't let you forget how much he's writing wow. uh we still got howard shaken on pencils we've got steve lealoa on inks uh we've got a new colorist in the form of glennis oliver though in the book itself uh, she is credited as glennis ween uh because at the time i believe she was married to len ween legendary len ween yes Yes, indeed. And we've got Tom Morsikowski on letters. Yes. Uh, who sometimes gets more credit uh, than other times. When sometimes it's just like, hey, <laughs> Tom did some stuff too, man. And we've still got uh, Archie Goodwin as our consulting editor. Whatever. That is true. Though, on strangely enough, on Marvel Unlimited, uh, Archie Goodwin isn't given an official credit on the credits page, but it's clear that he is slowly creeping his way into these books, hey, which will become more evident as down we down the stretch we get. How's that uh, space battle book going? Is what I imagine Archie Goodwin is doing at this moment. See, I imagine it more as like. So you guys are writing a Star Wars book, huh? Well, it sure would be cool if this thing happened, and this thing happened, and this thing happened, and this thing happened. I saw that Star Wars movie again the other night, and uh, I have no ideas about this Chewbacca. Uh, yeah. <laughs> oh, we'll talk about Chewie's uh, rich inner life in this uh, book as well. I, I will say, <laughs> starting in this issue, Roy Thomas is drawing some interesting conclusions about the inner thoughts of these characters. That I'm like, it, uh, well, we'll talk about it because I feel like in the first four issues, there's some of that, but then it's just like in this, Roy Thomas has decided, you know what? Yeah, this is an adaptation, but it's time I put my footprints on these characters. Yes, indeed. and that hasn't aged well at all. Um, oh, there is a few things in this issue in particular that have not aged well at all. Let's uh, let's talk about this cover though. 
Uh, cover. Oh yeah, let's get into it. I think I mentioned this last week, or I I, I used to have a T-shirt with this cover on it because it is an insane cover. Oh, it's a cover that is nonsense if you're familiar with the stories of Star Wars, that first movie. It's very Flash Gordon-y. Uh, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's very much Ming the Merciless is attacking! Uh, because, yeah. I'm I'm honestly shocked that Luke doesn't have his lightsaber out in this cover as well. Well, you look at the way his uh, his fist is clenched there, it seems like it should be there, doesn't it? The on the, uh, mm, Yeah, maybe a little bit. The way his hand is back there. But, yes... Yeah, here we have Luke Skywalker strikes again. What? Who does who does Luke strike in this? He he's stricken by self doubt in this issue. I yeah, I don't know what that's about. And then uh, <laughs> the you have uh, uh, the Death Star is attacking, and you know this because it's shooting uh, very. By uh, particularly by Death Star standards, incredibly insignificant blasts uh, of laser beams uh, down at the. I mean, this is the base on Yavin Four. Uh, Presumably, yeah. Uh, and uh, also, if that's not indication enough, we do have Luke saying, "Hurry, Chewbacca! We're being attacked by the Death Star." <laughs> yeah. Well, so Chewie, of course, famously following Luke's lead on most things. Uh, <laughs> carrying this weapon I've never seen in anything, let alone having Chewbacca carry, who has a very distinctive classic weapon. Oh, you haven't seen the, the bolt caster's alt fire mode? He presses a button and it turns into a submachine yeah, gun. It's a thing you don't see much in the movie, but it happens. I was going to say, it definitely has like a... World War Two. This is like a guns and Navarone weapon or something. Like that. <laughs> um, and yeah, this is a Tommy gun without the drum barrel. Exactly. Yeah, it does look like that. And then I guess it's bad news because Han Solo is saying it's too late, kid. We're finished. And boy, howdy, are we not even close to being finished yet? Mm-mm. And this is. But yeah, I mean, I will say no immediate color grievances right off the bat on this cover agree there's no like weird green death star or strange purple floor there's some like purple pink shading on the death star but i think that's like perfectly within artistic representation of shadows of darkness yeah yeah no it's, it's all it's all fine uh yeah this is all fine except for just it's another thing where once again if this is the adaptation of the movie I've already seen the movie, if I'm buying this, in 1977. I'm going, I don't remember this scene. <laughs> well, yeah. And you do bring up the, like, smaller lasers on the Death Star. That's actually something that's not brought up a whole lot, is, like, the Death Star does have other defensive batteries. We just never see them used except in the trench run. Right. It's it's always against the ships coming at them. It's never like the Death Star is hovering above a planet and just firing down. Because why would it do that when it can just fire up its main cannon and destroy the planet itself? I mean, hell, even in Return of the Jedi, we see him using it, their main weapon to destroy one of the big rebel ships in yeah. the armada that comes in on, outside of Endor. Or the way it, uh, uh, I mean, we, we also see it used in um, in Rogue One in that way with more targeted, like, city destruction. Mm-hmm. A single reactor blast. Yeah, exactly. That kind of thing here. But here, it's a waste of everyone. I mean, the only reason I could see it ever doing this is if there's some sort of malfunction, right? 
or if they there is something on the surface they hope to maintain. If there is, okay, we're fine with orbital bombardments and collateral damage, but there's something down there that we can't absolutely obliterate. But it also just seems like, at that point, then send a, a Star Destroyer or something as opposed to the Death... Yeah, but we were already on the way. Yeah. Uh, you know what? <laughs> uh, yeah, this is uh, this is Joe over on the Death Star. We can swing by. Uh, it's not. It's a five minute detour at most. Don't worry. Lord Vader gets it, man. He's super reasonable <laughs> about these kind of things. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So let's get into this first page. Speaking of, uh, we're finished. Uh, Han Solo in total go-go dancer mode here. Oh, you... uh, <laughs> I, this is a running thing throughout this comic. The amount of people who are doing these like dramatic turn, hip turns, they love it. Mm -hmm. It's implying action. Uh, I was going to talk about just his massive hands. I know they're trying to do perspective, oh, yeah. but his hands are gigantic. Oh. Well, and look at the pinky on his right hand that's going back towards Luke. Yeah. He's got some real, like, sausage fingers going on there. And I, I Look, I get it. Hands are hard. There's a long, proud tradition of artists fucking up hands, but this is just a glaring example. Well, I also feel like this is a Chaikin who hasn't yet found his style. Like, there is a distinct Howard Chaikin style. He's, he's one of the mm. comics artists who his art is instantly identifiable and this doesn't really look like there are times when it looks like Chaikin, but uh you know when you get to things like black hawk or uh american flag mm. and stuff like that you'll see the 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 Chaikin style and this is super early in his career um but yeah it's yeah. weird and everything is very awkward here uh, well, yeah, start with the awkward. We get that goofy-ass Star Wars logo at the top again. Oh, goofy. With the, with the star for the in, inside the A's. Man, I can't and, wait for that to go. Um, but <laughs> It's pretty quick after this. But, I will but talk about goofy titles. Goofy titles. This is the this jumped out. I just opened this last night and went, Lo, the moons of Yavin. There is a series of books Whoa. that you can find out there called Shakespeare's The Star Wars. And that immediately came to mind because they're Shakespearean reinterpretations of the it, Star Wars films. They're so much fun. I have that box set of the original trilogy of those. And they're, they're yeah. really fun and silly. But yes, it is. Hello, the moons of Yavin. Possible patron content, John? We do dramatic readings of Shakespeare's The Star Wars? Dude, I would love that. That'd be great, man. Yeah, <laughs> that. Um, yeah. I call dibs on Chewbacca. You got it, man. Just as long as I get to be on Solo, that's all I care about. Um, uh, of course. Yeah, and so we get our story so far, which talks about all the stuff we've seen. Yep, they've just escaped the Death Star. Ben Kenobi sacrificed himself to shut down the... Tr the uh, tractor beam that held them in place, and now they're trying to escape, and whether or not... Princess Leia can stay rescued, which I do enjoy that turn of phrase. Yeah, but that that feels just fine. This is <laughs> Roy Thomas has yet to get overly wordy here on this first page. I also love this dramatic. We've got the dramatic hip turn on Han Solo, and then just this like action pose on Luke Skywalker. He can't just be standing there; he has to be like, "Who? What are we gonna do?" Yeah, and of course, yet another complete misunderstanding of the layout of the interior oh, of God. the Millennium Falcon. I have no idea where they're standing. I think they're right outside the bridge, but it's really tough to say. I think so, only because if you look over in the right corner of it, I can kind of see that hallway with the weird sort of uh, 
almost like pillowed entry. Yeah, but half the corridors inside the Falcon look like that. And again, True. I know we're talking about we, Mike Gurgani and John Campbell, have had the Incredible Cross Sections book, have some one of us walked inside the literal Millennium Falcon been, set at Galaxy's Edge. I've been in the ship, man, uh, and it. So we have the layout of it so ingrained in our brains mm-hmm. that even the the slightest like misconstrued of the interior of it immediately triggers in our brains. Whereas these people have maybe black and white set photos. The thing, <laughs> the thing about this that I've noticed too is they sort of take that in consideration when they're drawing this because I'm also thinking about. If we go to the next page, when they're in the the gun turret chairs, like mm-hmm. the, the 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 book never pulls out too wide, so it almost seems mm-hmm. like if we just kind of stay in close and give the because these don't look exactly right, but they're also just so close to the characters, they don't want to give us well, too much of a view. Something really distinct that I noticed is one of the most striking parts of that sequence is that there is this up and down axis to the Millennium Falcon that we engage with in this scene so that Luke goes down some a ladder and Han goes up a ladder to these turret positions on the top and bottom of the ship. Right. And so during that scene, they can turn and look over their shoulder at one another and they can engage in dialogue. That's where the don't get cocky kid, which is completely absent from this book, by the way. Because that was the Harrison Ford improv. Absolutely. But that whole three-dimensional awareness of geography is completely lost in this book because, A, they're probably not aware that it's a thing in the movie Mm. as they're drawing this. I still believe that Howard Chaykin has not seen Star Wars yet. (laughs) And he never will. And he never will. Um, And the the TIE fighter pilot at the bottom of this page is a supreme example of that. Oh, my God. Uh, Yeah, the TIE fighter. But I was just going to say, Howard Chaykin, famously prickly, I uh, uh, I I have ha- I I have met the man, and he was as advertised. Uh, <laughs> he was not mean, but he was prickly. Uh, mm-hmm. I would say on that, and I, I that's what I also told Matt Fraction when he asked me about what it was like meeting Howard Jake, and I said he was as advertised. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, oh, and that's a and that's a Howard Jake, who's had years to yeah, uh, yeah. let us say ripen. <laughs> Indeed, yeah, yeah. I, I told him I was a big fan of his work, and he said, uh, he goes, I appreciate that. Of course, your taste could be shit. I don't know you. <laughs> That's so good. That's it was really brusque, I'll say that it, much. And it was like, I was just like, mm, that's a good Jaken story. Uh, <laughs> it was, I went, mm, mm, that's good Jaken. Uh, <laughs> goes down smooth. <laughs> yeah, I knew what to expect, sort of. Um, but uh, anyway, mm-hmm. uh, so yeah, we've got oh my god, so much thought bubbles and thought bubbles in comics are something that drive me insane uh, for the most part, anyway. Because especially in this era, they're so overused. Um, mm-hmm. Also, the things they're thinking, particularly Han Solo. I really love that we seem to be establishing a baseline that Luke can never not say Kenobi's full name. He always thinks or says Ben Kenobi every single time. Because in the movie, it's pretty much just Ben. Uh, Yes. But in the the comic, I never fired this kind of gun before, but I've got to do it. I've got to for Ben Kenobi. 
<laughs> we talk about grandstanding dialogue. Well, and I understand that some of this stuff, especially the stuff in bold that we see on this page, is meant to establish these are the important things going on in any given comic book's panel. That is a time-honored tradition in sure. comics. And seeing as this is Marvel in the late 70s, we are still, and continue to be even into the modern era to a limited extent, in the mindset of any issue of a comic book can be someone's first issue. So we have to explain everything within the first couple of pages. That's very true, especially in this era, as we're saying. Um, but Han Solo's thought of that old man, Kenobi, once again. <laughs> we just, Kenobi, we know what old man is referring to. Died freeing <laughs> us from the Death Star's beam that held us. And this is one erstwhile space smuggler that's going to see he didn't die in vain. Who? Why would he ever think of himself as an erstwhile space smuggler? Do you consider Han Solo to be the type of character who would ever use the word, either internally or externally, use the word erstwhile? Never. Not in a million years. <laughs> does Han Solo even know what that word means? If he does, he, yeah, he, maybe he did at one point, but he's forgotten it. And just this whole thing about, like, this idea about, like, I'm not going to let him die in vain. You know, once again, like, Han Solo doesn't... I mean, the, the, the whole point of his character, obviously, is he's a guy who is, at his core, a good guy. But I'm not sure in this moment of the type... I never once thought in this scene that Han is going, like, I'm going to do this for old Ben. You know, <laughs> I think no. Han Solo is trying to save his skin, and that's what we need to think about the character until his dramatic reversal in the last scene yeah. scenes of the movie. Yes, that is the Han Solo is a guy who will uh, be will end up being begrudgingly heroic. You know, is sort of a thing where he's like he can't help it, even if he doesn't want to be. Um, he's the guy who gets a sidelong look from Chewbacca and then goes, "Oh, fine, I'll help." Mm -hmm. That's, I love that line in Solo where it's just like, I'm the only one who knows your secret, that you're the good guy. He's a guy mm -hmm. pretending to be the bad guy who, for his own safety, he's cultivated this thing of I don't give a shit when he really does. Uh, yeah. Now, meanwhile, <laughs> let's think about <laughs> this next battle. Oh, yeah. Chewbacca's inner monologue is maybe my favorite thing in this, in this issue. Uh, I like Leia. We have Leia coming around to, well, maybe... These rapscallions might just pull this off. And then Chewbacca, the seven-foot fur-covered Wookiee. His thoughts are as much his own as the strange language he speaks. I love... So... <laughs> I love when... Right Chewbacca's inner dialogue is the sound you get when you put a seashell up to your ear. <laughs> Basically, I love... Ray Thomas does this a few times where he's just like, and Chewbacca, who could even know what that guy's thinking? Like, like, I just love the idea, but, like, you're the author, and you're going, oh, I don't know what that guy's up to. But what, what, what is the, what is better? This, literally nothing, mm -hmm. or a thopopple saying, oh, shit, oh, shit, we're all gonna die. This is true. <laughs> I would go the third option, don't say anything, Roy Thomas, but, you know, God, we can't not have that. We gotta fill the page. Just look at I, this is the thing, I, and I keep saying this, but every time I go back to this era, compared to comics today, you just go like, there's just so many words on these pages. It's crazy mm -hmm. how overstuffed it is with writing. Anyway, here come yeah. the Sci Fighters, and yeah, who the hell? Yeah, for the, what is this? 
for those just listening to the audio version of this, you got to imagine every single panel of this page has at least one to three blocks of texts yeah. from Roy Thomas describing what you're seeing in the image. Yeah. I mean, you, you, suddenly Leia's voice resounds throughout the Millennium Falcon. Here come the TIE Fighters! Uh, I, Does it matter that that's Leia shouting that? Nope. Uh, within the short-range starships of the Empire, air-giving helmets. I don't know why air-giving helmets makes me laugh. Uh, yeah. Air-giving helmets hide all life and all emotion. We get it. The masks of the Imperial fighter pilots are meant to evoke fear and emotionless. You're, you're supposed to, it's supposed to dehumanize them. That, and yes. Yeah. And that, that's what the art does, even if it is also a cone head. Yeah, this is weird. That is a very weird looking TIE fighter pilot. Um, but it's just like it, it. Roy Thomas is just going, I, I can't. I got to get in there. They're not going to understand you guys. Um, yeah. Luke, however, is less reluctant to show his feelings. And <laughs> he's not showing his feelings, though, in this nope. panel. He is thinking to himself, dang it, I missed. Well, he's actually saying, blast! <laughs> well, of course, because this is a knockoff of uh, a space... Uh... Oh my god, why am I blanking on the name of... Uh, Flash Gordon, good yeah, lord. Yeah, 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 Flash Gordon, yeah, it is. A Blast! Gordon's missed yeah. again! Yeah, it is sort of... Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, I mean, once again, uh, I've got to use the... I've got to use the force that Ben showed me how to use. And this, once again, <clears throat> the thing... This kind of robs the ending of the movie, is what I was thinking, something where he's yeah. already going, I've got to use the force. You're like, wait a minute, if, that's if... the realization at the end of the movie, man. Yeah, if it was at all implied in this sequence when Luke is, like, struggling with the controls of the, the turret here that we see in the movie and him trying to grapple with the weird clunky controls and targeting systems, that he is also trying to use the Force, that would kind of lessen the end of the movie if he's been trying to do it the whole time. Right, right. It's got it's got to be, tr trust your feelings, Luke. I mean, that's the whole... I, Guys, I don't need to explain the end of Star Wars to you. You've seen it. pretty good. <laughs> yeah, you don't need to ex extend, explain the ending of a 50-year-old movie. But then when we come to the next page, this is funny. The Force. The name Ben Kenobi. The name Ben Kenobi gave as if, when there really isn't a term for it, Ben Kenobi calls it the Force. Okay, but to be fair, at least so far... They in... don't... Yeah, you're right. Yeah, yeah. you're right. You're right. The Jedi at this point are Ben Kenobi and Luke Skywalker's unnamed father, who is a separate character from Darth Vader at this point. Oh, yeah. And was for a lot longer than George Lucas would care to admit. Uh, yes. Um, but, uh, <laughs> uh, uh, and we'll actually expand upon that later in this issue. Mm -hmm. uh, it enabled Luke to wield a lightsaber skillfully by getting in touch with himself and thus all mankind. Look, I told you there was going to be a lot of cranking it in this, this is just, issue, a lot of masturbatory stuff. It is just so purple and like, oh, oh, you can just see Roy Thomas's tiebreaker going, mm, oh, that's good shit, man. That's mm. it right there. Do it, Roy. Hit those keys. Uh, yeah. 
So we get a lot of Luke struggling with the controls of this. We get the TIE Fighters coming in, shooting them, the ship rocks. We get a good honk from Chewie down at the bottom of this page. We do. Leia's flapping about on what? the bridge that doesn't look like the bridge anymore of the Falcon. No, no, not at all. Um, I want to talk about this third panel here because that is Luke Skywalker talking, but that looks like Han Solo's hair to me. Huh. You're absolutely correct. Yeah, that is weird. Hmm, this might be an art and lettering error. I think you need, I would say, flip those uh, uh, word bubbles. Yeah, maybe. I'm going to flip back a couple of pages, see what they're doing with the hair here. Though, to be fair, the art isn't detailed enough in any of the pages before. Well, actually, that's not true. Okay, there's Han Solo's hair on the page before, right. where we get the, the little curl down towards and his eyes. Same. And Luke has the bangs. Yeah, I think these word bubbles are wrong. Yeah, that's very probable. But then again, the faces change in every panel, so it's really tough to say. That's why I have to go with the hair, because I can't, there aren't, there is no consistency in the faces here. Uh, mm. But all I know is there's trouble on the Falcon when it goes, Ree! Yeah, Rees are bad. Rees are bad on a spaceship. We know this. Yeah, and you can tell particularly when Chewie is then responding, Ronk! Oh, I mean, the haronk, you gotta respect the haronk. He knows that something's gone wrong, because he hears the re. Gages whine in protest at the quantity of lethal energy they are being asked to monitor and compensate for. Somewhere L3 is saying, bitch, what are you doing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, all right, so we go. So on the next page, we get a little bit of action. I uh, we get Luke still struggling with the controls, but eventually he shoots one. I do. Actually, no. I think Solo shoots one here. Uh, yes, he does. Um, but I thought Luke, Luke does nothing. Uh, I do actually like the uh, props to Howard Chagy for this shot where the turret is blowing the... It's like we're catching the TIE fighter as it's exploding apart. That actually looks cool. Yeah, absolutely. And I think there's some good drawing of motion lines here, kind of giving you a sense of how the ships are moving through space. It's just a little over cluttered with with a narration box. Well, because once again, look, Roy Thomas has done some great stuff, but I will say, always kind of been... I mean, he, Roy Thomas was the heir apparent to Stan Lee, right? And I think their writing mm. style is somewhat similar in that they were both kind of guys who overdid it. Uh, and But you can actually see the beginnings of Chaikin having some promise and Roy Thomas needs to shut up. Uh, although this... <laughs> Uh, close-up, like, uh, deep focus shot of Han giving the thumbs up is so weird. When did he put those gloves on? <laughs> he didn't have those in the... He has them in the movie, but we see Harrison Ford put them on. Here, yeah. all of a sudden, they just appear. Because yes. I'm sure, once again, they had a photo where he didn't have them on, and then a photo where he did have them on. And mm, that's mm, what happened mm, here. Mm, mm. Uh... Yeah. uh <laughs> Luke does blow up another TIE fighter, and yeah, yeah. there they they this is also where they start throwing around that Han is a Corellian. Uh, that I did find fascinating because the establishment of Con Han being from Corellia really happens in novels and other media outside of the movies. I don't think it's actually even ever mentioned in the films proper. I don't think it is either, and I think really probably that came from some kind of Bible they got or something, right, about these characters. Yeah. Um, well, that would be like truly cemented in the West End 
RPGs later, like exactly what even Corellia is. Um, I think there is a dropped line in this movie in particular when they talk about Corellian bulk freighters. Yeah. So they know that like Corellia is a place where ships are made. Han ha- Han does say something about you mean the big Corellians or whatever he says something like that. Yeah. Big Corellian jobs, but the idea that Han is Corellian is interesting, and it's yeah. here and suddenly it appears in dialogue too. Uh, mm-hmm. We're not out of the woods yet, Sonny. No, he calls him kid a lot. I don't remember Han ever dropping. Hey there, Sonny. <laughs> well, look, the, the Han in this book is of an age that we cannot even begin to imagine. We don't exactly know how old Han is compared to Luke in this, because both of their faces keep morphing from old men to young people and back again. This is true, because Han is, what, supposed to be about maybe, what, 10 years older than Luke? 10, 15 years older? Roughly, yeah, somewhere in there. Yeah, but in this, yeah, I don't, I, I, who knows? He might be 35 years older than him, for all we know. Uh, <laughs> Uh, so let's let's go to the next page. More to the, uh, this goes on for so long. That this yeah. If you just read this comic, you would think this is the most epic battle sequence in this movie, and right. like and five minute skirmish in the film. And it's great, but it's it's really a small thing. Yeah. Well, what it does in the film is it establishes Luke's bona fides as being actually competent at shooting things. Mm -hmm. It is something he is capable of doing, even if it is with computer assistance. It is also like showing off that the, uh, the millennium Falcon, which up to this point really hasn't done a lot of combat, Mm -hmm. uh, is capable of taking out enemy craft, which was of course important in the third act. Yeah. Well, exactly. It it does that. And I think it establishes the tie fighters as the, the fighter ships of the enemy. Uh, I mean, a lot of it is to lay seeds for stuff that will happen in the third act, but that's kind of what an action movie does, right? We're understanding how the action of these vehicles function. Here, it makes it seem like, number one, I think they blow up more TIE fighters on this than they do in the movie. Um, Or at least, I don't know, maybe it just feels that way because it goes on forever, but it just seems like they're really getting blasted again, and these TIE fighters are coming wave after wave here because here they come again you know it's like i don't remember well you gotta how many tie fighters would realistically be aboard the death star hundreds thousands this is true but also as and they'll say in this comic too vader lets them go on purpose so if anything right don't they kind of sacrifice these tie fighters for show in some ways oh 100 yes and leia calls that out later in this book even right uh, but all I know is Chewie's concerned because he's dropping the the hard expletives with a fronk. Oh yeah, that's when if we had Chewie's thought bubble here, it would be a we are so fucked right now. Yeah, fronk. Uh, <laughs> don't also. I, don't worry. Yeah, cool. I like han referring to everyone aboard as crew yeah seems really out of place because for the longest time and this has always been the characterization of han solo once you're his crew you're effectively family right. and he's known luke for five minutes and leia for one right and he actively dislikes the droids yeah i would <laughs> say it's not until maybe halfway through Empire that you really have him where he would be saying that, you know. Uh Um, 
But it does. It, I mean, I understand he's Captain Blind and Falcon, but he's not Captain Kirk going like, "Listen up, crew. Here's what we're doing." You know, like it's. Uh, uh, and then you hear me, ship, hold together. Well, I believe it's much more understated in the movie. It's like, yeah. hear me, baby, hold together. Yeah, and yeah, he's well, like talking to the Falcon. Right, but here it's in that zigzaggy way. It's in cap. Mm-hmm. It's got an exclamation point. And you're like, man, yeah, I know. It is. It, it, <laughs> and they haven't seen the movie, but a lot, particularly Han, so much of it, so much of the appeal of that character is in Harrison Ford's understated performance. So to make him here going, you know, like throughout this whole thing in his oh, tone. You talked about Captain Kirk. That's definitely what the comic seems to be going for in terms of what they know a starship captain acts like. Yeah. It's those dramatic standing, like, we need to hold together, crew. Yeah. Uh, because Shatner is the exact opposite of understated. Uh... <laughs> well, and talk about how they haven't seen the movie and don't understand what the emotions the script is going for. The reactions in Luke at every turn are way exaggerated oh, yeah. from what we see in the movie We've well. talked about that, and, and this will continue. Luke is such a seething, raw nerve of a character in this. <laughs> um, all right, let's go to the next page. Uh... Oh, talk about old man Luke here for a hot minute. Or is this Han Solo? I don't even know anymore. I think this is Han Solo on that second panel. Yeah. That's a weathered, battle-hardened Han. Even Force Awakens Han Solo doesn't look this craggy. Um, As opposed to the Luke on the bottom of the page, that is a thumb. (laughs) Yeah, and that is the thing. And also he's got his eyes closed going, Like, his neck now comes up to his ears, and he's like, he is just a a thumb of a human being in that last panel. He looks like Brock from Pokemon. Actually, that's dead on. Uh, And the closed eye, does everything about the squinting of the features and the the shriveling up of the face to give it less detail definitely Mm -hmm. takes into that Pokemon design. Uh, And this is all Roy Thomas. All is grim silence within the fleeing smuggler craft, for they know that one direct hit on the side without a deflector shield spells doom. This is how I read it. When I read it in my head, it is going like, oh, lo, the Millennium Falcon hangs in mid-space. Like, it does have that Shakespeare. It's just so like, oh, my God. And what a light upon those twinkling black skies. Do we see the Falcon of Millennium High? There is that exact thing. (laughs) (laughs) And at the last possible instant before it passes out of range, he swings his weapon nozzle minutely, his fingers tightening convulsively on the fire control. Now shouteth Luke Skywalker to the heavens. I mean... (laughs) Convulsively, get that out of the comic. That's not a comic book word, man. Also, aren't the thumbs the one that's hitting the firing buttons on these guns? Yes. There's no trigger. Yes. <laughs> it's drawn that way too. <laughs> <laughs> I I honestly think Roy Thomas never looked at any of this art. <laughs> I really do. I like. There's a thing where I'm just going like he is just going. He is, once again, at his tiebreaker going, mm, yes, and yes, and then whatever. And then it's like, Howard, draw it, who cares? I've done my part as leader right now. Well, and we've talked about how even Howard Chaykin's art is maybe being, like, 
really touched up by Lealoa's inks, and that's doing a lot of heavy lifting in terms of the detail mm -hmm. and what's actually being shown to the reader. Oh. So for all we know, Roy Thomas was just seeing the the first like thumbnails of the art passes mm -hmm. and then just wrote all of his narration based on that. Uh, go to the next page. And the Imperial fighter turns into a rapidly expanding cloud of phosph phosphorescing dust. I don't think that's a word. Phosphorescing? No. Yeah. I, I have never heard that before. I, this is definitely, I was reading this last night and going, and I had to go over that a couple times going, phosphorescing? I mean, I understand what you're saying, but like the process of becoming phosphorus? But isn't phosphorus like an element? <laughs> yeah, I don't know if it is a verb. The So phosphorus, let's just ask Dr. Internet here. All right. Phosphorus is a mineral that naturally occurs in many foods and is also available as a supplement. It yep. plays multiple roles in the body. It is a key element in bones, teeth, cell membranes. It helps activate enzymes and helps keep pH within normal range. Sure. Now, phosphorus... Phosphorescite, phosphor, I don't even. Phosphor. Phosphorescing. Phosphorescing, yes. Phosphorescing. <laughs> Is this a word? So phosphorescence yeah. is light emitted by a substance without combustion or perceptible heat. So, Wait, so then that's just an incorrect use of that word anyway, right? So phosphorescing would be light emitted in space without heat or combustion, but it is an exploding spaceship. So yes, that's wrong. Yeah. <laughs> Bad Roy Thomas. Bad Thomas. Uh, and then we get some of Chaikin's worst art here, because you want to talk about Luke being a sentient thumb. Look at that <laughs> middle. He has no neck at all. Uh, I don't think we're ever going to cover it on this show or any other show, but the old, I don't even know what to call them. They weren't like puppet movies, but Thumb Wars. Do you remember those Steve like Thumb Steve movies? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, the, the guy who made Kung Pao into the Fist yeah. made a bunch of Thumb movies. There's Bat Thumb, there's Thumb Wars. Yes. Uh some of those. Was there a Thumb Matrix one, I want to say, as well? Might have been, yeah. That was about the right time. But yeah, it was the whole thing where it was they were animating faces onto people's thumbs. Mm-hmm. And that's what Luke looks right, like here. He definitely does. And then Han looks really weird once again. Uh, and, uh, boy, it's just... So they're like, we made it, we made it, princess. What do you think, sweetheart? Not bad a bit of rescuing. Yeah. You know, sometimes I even amaze myself. That doesn't sound too hard, says Leia. That's... I like that back and forth, and that's in the movie. Yeah, that's good stuff. Uh, and I think some of the uh, helps is because it's in the movie, we can hear it in the voices of Harrison Ford and Carrie Fisher. And so we're like, mm -hmm, that's right. good. they have good chemistry. Uh, but yeah, so anyway, this is where we finally find out. They're like, hey, I like Han Solo going like, hey. What's in that droid anyway? Now that we've gone through that battle and everything, let me finally ask what's actually going on here. And of course, I love that Han's gone through all of this with zero idea about the ramifications of anything he's doing. Come to think of it, what was this about again? <laughs> 
which is honestly kind of true in the movie as well, is by the time they're rescuing the princess and, like, figuring out that it's all a part of this larger rebellion, that is when Han Solo starts getting cold feet because he's just like, look, 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 I signed up for a charter job. I have no idea what all this stuff is. They just is. keep waving cash under his nose, and that's all he... Oh, and then it, it works. Yeah, I'm only <laughs> in it for the money. Uh, so, yeah, so anyway, let's see. So they, we know that. Once again, the bridge is a mess. Oh yeah, now the bridge is whatever. I don't know what this, what this over, this is not over the shoulder, this is over the hip of C-3PO here, is a weird design. Look, we gotta remind you that the droids are here all the time, so they're always in the background there, the Rosencrantz and Guildenstern. Yeah. Now we go back to the Death Star, while back aboard the formidable battle station known as Death Star. Or you could just show me the Death Star with a word bubble coming out of it, and I can assume the next scene takes place on it. The fact that he consistently drops the the from the Death Star. Is anyone referring to it as Death Star outside of certain battle raps? No. Uh, and I. <laughs> <laughs> but there's something, once again, it has to be in this Roy Thomas way. Uh, it could just say, meanwhile, aboard the Death Star or something like that. It doesn't even need to say that, as we're saying. But still, just the idea of, while back aboard the formidable battle station, known as Death Star. Yeah, once again, <laughs> the artist formerly known as Death Star. Yeah. And then this is, this to me, this is so wide and so gigantic, this discussion between uh, Vader and Tarkin here. It's so big that the colorist and inkers feel the need to put light halos around the two characters to make sure you know who's talking. That is absolutely what it is, because you got these two control guys. And I get it, they you know, they want to capture the grandeur of it, but it's a weird moment to choose grandeur, I guess. Uh, well, and it's immediately undercut when in the bottom left panel Vader has his fists raised, like, mm, I've got them now. I some of the body language on these characters is so i mean once again we know this is you know but still it is like oh good day vader it's yeah imagine darth vader with his fists up above his helmet shaking his hands like yippee yeah oh i've got them rebels now tarkin uh this is so wizard tarkin (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> have no fear this will be a day long remembered it has seen the end of the last of the jedi knights and soon very soon it will see the end of the rebellion itself which i like that vader can get excited about stuff don't get me wrong it's just not something i'm used to seeing i do too but there i mean and once again we have much more context for who this character is going forward but there is just something st- so bizarre about this dialogue it's like a little too much on vade you know soon mm-hmm. very soon uh anyway let's go i just i like the idea of a giddy vader that's all yeah once again here go to the next page there's more of roy thomas as back aboard the millennium falcon somewhere in the void known as hyperspace oh for the love of everything is this and that known as this and you know 
Look, as a guy who has fumbled his way through writing science fiction novels, it is not hard to imagine where these sorts of instincts come from. It's just that on a comics book page, you only have a certain amount of real estate. And so to take it up with a long slug line with something that is immediately obvious is hard to stomach. It is. This is also a weird, once again... Comics are visual medium. You think about how you're telling stories visually. Why am I looking at Chewbacca here? Because he's piloting the ship and they have no idea exactly how the ship is laid out. So we must always see somebody at the helm because if no one was driving, John, that could be dangerous. I just think it's it's just one of those things where I'm going like, I understand you just want to put Chewbacca in here. But like, how is this as somebody who writes comic books? I am thinking a lot about... Uh choosing panels and going oh this is the visuals that are important to tell this section of the story and here it's just like Chewbacca he's basically going well those two shut up I mean look that's Chewie's role for the next two movies John so (laughs) (laughs) right there Um, this is the start of Chewie being the third wheel in this relationship mm -hmm. is what this is Uh, and so it's just Han going like, hey, sister, I don't want any part of this. Just give me my money. Mm-hmm. And she Can we talk about evil Leia face in this fourth panel here? God, and yeah. Han's doing the thing where it's like, I'm not doing this for you or your evolution. I'm doing it for the money I expect to be paid. And Leia says, you needn't worry about your ward. If money is all that you love... That is what you will receive. And it's got this ominous tone to her face that's like... In your your grave. (laughs) Yeah. It's like, oh, you'll be free of us. Mm -hmm. You'll be free of everything kind of tone to it. Put your money in a blaster. You know, shut the... (laughs) Yeah. She's got this kind of scheming face. I like Leia scheming. I do too, just... Why here? <laughs> no idea. Yeah. Um, Han Solo waits for his answer. Dot, dot, dot. But there is none. <laughs> and yeah. yeah, we get this uh, scene where uh, Leia is complaining about how much of a mercenary Han is. But of course he is. And uh, I found it interesting that Leia has this line in the movie as well, is wondering if Han really cares about anything or anybody. Mm -hmm. And in the movie, Luke actually does have the line, well, I care. Mm -hmm. And instead... And this, it's all thought bubbles. Yeah. And it's so weird, this pose, because I want... It's so like... He's going like, I do, princess. I care. Oh, I want to care about you so bad, baby. Oh, God, it's so gross in retrospect. But yes, it is this look of intense romantic longing. Like, some of this is in the movie, but the comic has really chosen to make this what is subtext. Just out front text in this, man. Oh, well, and talk about out and loud text the last panel of this page because we have this scene where Han is kind of ribbing Luke and he has that line of you think a princess like her and a scoundrel like me I think that's all possible it's so completely the opposite of the way Hamill plays it in the movie Mm -hmm. it's literal gritted teeth and him going no I don't think (laughs) because I love in the movie it's such a great Hamill delivery where he's like you think a 
princess like her and a guy like me is like, no, I don't. Just like this matter of fact, like, no. Yeah, not possible. Yeah. <laughs> Here it's like, oh, that idea infuriates me. His eyes are drawn such a way it really looks like one of them is twitching uncontrollably. You go anywhere near her, and I will cut your throat solo, you hear me? Yeah, Luke is kind of more psycho here, man. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Like you said, he's a total raw nerve in these books. He vacillates between, like, extreme emotions on either spectrum. There's no chill. The satisfied look of, like, on Solo going, like, <laughs> got him. Well, and that's what the satisfaction of Solo is actually something that the narration here comments on. Mm -hmm. What I found far more interesting is that it hints on this romantic relationship between Solo and Leia in a much more direct fashion than the movie does. In the movie, it's mostly subtext yeah. and the energy between the two actors playing off of each other. And you can read into it a lot. Well, because in this, it's straight up stated. I know that is interesting because I always thought Empire the romance between them and Empire really came out of, P and I think still it is the case, seen more the way Harrison Ford and Carrie Fisher played the characters than how they're yeah. written, per se. Uh, mm -hmm. There is a tension there, and 100% Lucas was trying to set up a love triangle because he does not know where this is going exactly. Uh, <laughs> right, exactly. Um, but I do think that there was sort of a thing where it's like, oh man, we instantly see where the chemistry lies here. Uh, so it is. Yeah. But in this comic, we have this narration block that says Solo smiles at the younger man's jealousy, and he's uncertain in his own mind whether the added comment is merely to bait his naive friend or because it's the truth. Yeah. Han's got a thing for Leia in this yeah, comic. Yeah, I think they're really trying to seed the love triangle, obviously, in the comic. I think that's 100%. Yeah. You see, this is going where it's like, um, which is all. So creepy in retrospect, obviously. The whole oh, yeah. thing is... Um, yep. Um, then here... Well, and that's why the light touch in the movie, you can kind of brush it aside. as just like, oh, all of it's really chaste and it's fine and we don't really have to worry about it once it's revealed that Leia is Luke's sister. Right. In this, there's way more implication and straight up... Uh, physical romance between the two characters that makes the later stuff honest, incredibly I've uncomfortable. I've read Jaken's other work. He would have drawn Luke with a boner if he could have. He would have. <laughs> yeah. And he the imagination on that at all. Uh, you know, Jaken, one of comics' great pervs. Uh, uh, <laughs> I don't think he would deny that. Uh, but let's get to the... Here we're landing on the moon of Yavin and that famously bright orange energy trail coming off of the Falcon. Uh, I mean, the colors here are all over the place. Between Yavin being giant and purple, between the huge red energy trail coming off of the Falcon, there's lots of stuff here that could make me raise an eyebrow. The purple ground around the temple. There's a lot of like, okay, this is 70s coloring. Let's not worry about here it. Here we get Roy Thomas, who really thinks he's writing a pulp sci-fi novel. The planet Yavin, a huge gas giant, is not a habitable world. Several of Yavin's numerous moons, however, are planet-sized themselves, and three of these can support humanoid life. It is toward the satellite designated as number four, shining uh -huh. emerald-like with its thick jungles, that the Millennium Falcon finally drifts. Good God, man! And that's just the first panel. I know. We've got two more of these. Just give me <laughs> the fourth moon of the gas giant Yavin, if you really want to get into that. 
Also, this is something that like bad action movies are guilty of. It's the sticking with an establishing shot longer than is necessary. Oh, yeah. We can have the one shot of the Falcon coming down to the moon and then cut to what happens on the next page, which is inside. Instead, we get two panels of them slowly getting into a taxi and driving across this large open area into the temple and into the hangar bay where all the ships are All the Roy Thomas continue going, The valley air is heavy with the fantastic eyes <laughs> on a match. Good Lord. And rotting in a forest of gargantuan trees. And just going like, come on, man. Yeah, all that so we can cut to this page where Leia is greeted by her fellow fellow rebels. This is what really, yeah, the taxi really got me in this one, where I'm going like, I don't remember that mm -hmm. movie. Because <laughs> in the movie, we do just cut to the Falcon swooping down, cut to the inside. Well, the thing that gets me is that first movie is so well-paced. And this comic... Well... There is a long storied history behind the fact that that movie was saved in the edit, right? The idea that the original Star Wars was a giant, complicated mess that maybe wouldn't have seen the light of day if not for a lot of people who cared about George Lucas deeply saving that movie in the edit. A hundred percent. I do love all those stories about all the filmmakers going, we can't tell George how bad this is. He seems to really care about it. <laughs> mm -hmm. And so, yeah, the, there's a lot of uh, Marsha Lucas, George's wife at the time, and editor really being an unsung hero of clipping this thing into what it is, which zips by. This comic is maybe actually kind of more of an indication of what it might have looked like. Mm. Where you're just well, like, and we know... We know one of the things Lucas really liked to focus on was the dogfighting aspect of it. Mm -hmm. And so when we have six pages earlier in this issue of them drawing out a dogfight, you're maybe not wrong about yeah. what it might have looked like originally. There you go. That could have been like a whole 15 to 20 minute action beat that everybody's going, you, you got to cut this thing down, man. Because I think Star Wars, A New Hope clocks in at like exactly two hours, I think, or somewhere mm. around there. Um, there's a, there's a new, uh, 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 not a new, but on, uh, one of my favorite podcasts, we hate movies. They have a rule about the, the, when they watch these terrible movies that, uh, they're longer than star Wars were. yeah, two hours, one minute and sort of going like, if these bad movies are longer than star Wars, that's unacceptable. Um, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So princess Leia comes in, everybody thank the stars. You're safe. We had feared the, who is this guy? This is Commander Willard. Uh, he's, uh, I've always referred to him as eyebrow guy. He shows up in one scene in A New yeah. Hope, and he's around the table at the end when they're all watching the well, countdown clock when the Death Star is coming one in. One of the things that gets me about A New Hope is you have all these rebel leaders who we literally never see again. Mm -hmm. Like I feel like the yeah. makeup of the leadership of the Rebel Alliance changes movie to movie until we eventually settle on Mon Mothma, right? Yeah, and uh, we get uh, Commander Dodonna uh, a couple of times. Um, we see him in Empire as well. Um, this is but true. For the most part, you're not wrong. The leadership is pretty on a rotating basis, except for Leia. And a lot of that is just these are day player actors, and they don't bother to bring them back because they're not holding these people yeah. contracts across movies. Uh, so anyway, they're they're talking about the thing. I do like <laughs> Chewie. 
grunking in this meeting and Hansa going, hey, shh, quiet. <laughs> <laughs> quiet down, Chewie. Because, yeah, we're cutting straight to welcome back, Leia. We'll try to analyze what's on this R2 unit to suddenly we're in the prep meeting. Hey, this is how we got to defeat the Death Star. I can't believe this thing moves that fast uh, after that. <laughs> but I just love the idea of, like, I want Dodonna to be like, hey, Captain Solo, will you get that Wookiee out of here? We said no Also. Hits. Why the fuck are Han and Chewie allowed in this briefing? They clearly in- made their intentions known about yeah. only caring about I, the money here. The idea about, like, you mind if we sit in? We're kind of not on board, but can we just hear it? <laughs> sure, this is a total top secret operation, but uh, yeah, why not? Cassie and Andor, who died last week, would have shot you immediately if you were sitting in on this. But uh, I don't see a reason why he shouldn't be able I, to be here. I, I mean, we know Han Solo, but Donna doesn't. So just him going like, well, this guy who seems to care only about money, he certainly wouldn't sell us out of the drop of a hat. Um, why isn't Porkins raising a hand in the middle of this briefing going, who the fuck are those two? Excuse me? <laughs> excuse me? Why is that guy in the Wookiee back there? <laughs> Yeah. Hey, Hawkins, have another bagel. Um, hey, don't diss my man Jack Porkins, okay? <laughs> yeah, we'll talk about Porkins uh, for then the next issue. Um, oh, I've I've got a uh, I've got a breakdown on uh, my good friend Porkins. Uh, here's a thing I don't know I don't remember them using this in the movie, and and you might remember more than I do the term snub fighters. Yeah, no, they they actually don't really use any of the names that would eventually be kind of cemented for these fighters. Mm-hmm. Uh, snub fighters refers to just like small nosed fighter craft. Yeah, and it is a term th- I believe that is like used once in the movie, but it's not something that they linger on. And it's more obvious in this because. It's written and you can focus on it. And they use quotation marks to say snub fighters. Yeah, that, that I think is why my my eyes were immediately drawn to it. Like, hmm, that's... Especially when, once again, it's like a small one-man fighter should be able to... A snub fight. It's like, okay, we just... It's once again, just... Can we... <laughs> there's an editor brain in me just going like, cut words out of this. It's too wordy. Yeah. Uh, uh, we, we get our mention of the T-16 back home. John, do you know what a T-16 is? I do, because I used to have uh, uh, a, ch- a children's book about Luke on Tatooine, and it did have the M and the T-16 in it. Mm, okay. Yeah. yeah. For those who don't know, the T-16 is that like kind of three-winged triangular spacecraft that we see Luke playing with a toy of at the beginning of A New Hope yeah. when he's talking to the droids. And eventually we'll learn the significance of that toy in the Obi-Wan show. Oh, I but... love that. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I for the longest time, of course, we just know it as uh, I used to bullseye womp rats in my T-16. Mm-hmm. They're not much bigger than two meters. Uh, exactly. Which is, you know... That's good screenwriting. Like, this guy's got yeah. experience doing this. It, it makes it seem, even without the force, that it is possible this guy could have made this shot. Mm-hmm. But there's and... a lot of Dodonna talking here, man. A lot. Yeah, and in the movie, it's really cut down to shoot the target, ship go boom. Also, his May the Force Be With You seems filled with rage in this last. And May the Force Be With You! And with you! Yeah. And with you! 
Yeah, may the force be with you. Um, yeah, it is. I, like, I love casual Dodonna in this fifth panel, though, when he's got his hands in his pocket. It's just like, <laughs> well, go. we're going to be destroying this here Death Star. And remember, only a direct hit has a hope of destroying the Death Star. Uh, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, Henry Fonda from On Golden Pump. <laughs> And then, but then immediately turning into a uh, uh, rock band frontman to Donna going, boss be with you. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, just there's so many weird poses and stuff here. Now we got the classic everybody run into their ships in the hangar, 3 p.m. Mm-hmm. art just cruising around because once again, you got to put them a guy with a clipboard in the foreground. I love a good clipboard randomly in the background. It's just like, he's got notes. He's got to keep organized. I get it. Yeah. Excuse me. Is anyone, uh, where did I park my X-Wing here? I've got to get my my homework uh, back there mm-hmm. uh, real fast. So anyway. Uh, we get this last interaction between Luke and Han where Han's being like, I'm getting the hell out of here. You can come with me right now because everyone here is doomed. Yeah, you guys are dead, so... And that's really what Han Solo, I mean, it's, I'm all about the money, but really Han Solo is, at his core, a survivor, right? Like, that's his whole thing, is he goes, I'm not going to put my life on the line, that's stupid. Um, this is a weird thing that's different in the movie, of course, is Luke Skywalker hardly hears Han Solo's whispered farewell, may the force be with you. Luke definitely hears that in the movie. He straight up says it right to his face, so mm-hmm. it's not a whispered thing, it is like a... And it always is kind of a key moment in the character to me where it's like, all right, I'm not a total heartless bastard. And even if I don't believe in the Force, I know I do I do care enough about Luke to say, I, I want you to be safe. And I'm going to say this, you know, it's it's saying to your Christian friend, like, uh, yeah, prayers be with you or whatever, even if I don't believe that shit. Or even saying, like, Merry Christmas. Yeah, exactly. Like, maybe if the holiday doesn't have any religious connotations to you, yeah. it does to some people, and it's very important to some people, so it can oh. just as easily say that as but any other holiday. But I, I still. actually hate this, and I have no idea where, where this is. This is the script or something that was different, but it's, it's, a, it's a moment of sincerity for Han Solo that really helps round out his character in the movie. And for in this, it'd just be like, he's like, a, hey, may the force be with you or whatever, some shit, who cares? Uh, right, and so Luke leaves the scene angry as opposed to, well, I guess we're just going to have to agree to disagree. Yeah, they still want to leave on good terms because I feel like Han and Luke's friendship often gets short shrift in a lot of stuff, but it is... Oh, yeah. Yeah, it is sort of, it is, but it is a key thing. Um, there aren't like a ton of Han and Luke scenes throughout the movies, but when they're there, it's important. <laughs> Mm-hmm. And so they just top but, away here, but oh, we need to save room for this next page. Mm. <sighs> so yeah, it, to our YouTube audience, it will be immediately apparent what we're talking about here. But to our listeners, mm-hmm. right in the middle of this page, there is a scene of physical intimacy between Luke and Leia that, that is. is extremely <laughs> uncomfortable in retrospect. And very much not in the movie. And very much not in the movie. Oh, I, them entwining fingers, oh them God. passionately kissing. Yeah, this is not a peck. This is a... Also, this is when Roy Thomas chooses to shut the fuck up. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. I got nothing to say about this. You take me right now. Mm. 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 
Yeah, no captions here, just lingering on the center page of the intimacy between a sister and her brother. And that pink background really helps sell that, like, Valentine's Day kind of, like, oh. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Also, mid-makeout, she's going, mm, may the force be with you. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, that's always the thing in comics, right? Is like when the dialogue actually happens compared to the action of what's being shown. Is it just before and then they kiss? Or is it her trying to mumble those words through his mouth? I don't know. I prefer this, the latter there. Um, <laughs> force be with you, Luke. But then, of course, we've got cock blocking Biggs Darklighter showing up in this hey, fifth panel. Hey, buddy. Um, and I, so if you think Biggs' return in the movie or introduction in the movie is kind of a toss off, boy, it's even more of a toss off here in the comic, isn't it? I also love the 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 editor's note of Luke's childhood chum from Ish One. I do love the term Ish One. You know. Ish one. I also love the very comic booky term chum. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, Biggs. I also, he'd be around here somewhere. Leia just vanishes in this next scene. Like she's just gone. It makes me. I, I wish that Biggs came up and Luke is just kissing the air. Like, <laughs> oh hey, Biggs. <laughs> That would actually make me feel better in retrospect, yeah. honestly. It's just. It's still creepy, but it would be less. Uh, okay. actively gross. This last panel sets up something going into the next issue as well, which is I, I don't know if this was a change from a script or something like that, but the fact that he's in Blue Squadron in the comic when he's in Red Squadron in the movie? That's originally a thing that was in the script that they changed during shooting, yeah. Yeah. So that's just interesting. I don't know why. Yeah, and we would later see what happened to Blue Squadron in Rogue One when they are completely decimated on Scarif. This is true, but that's that's way after the fact. I, I just wonder why yeah. in the movie they decide, eh, it's Red Squadron. I mean, really, does it really? Because red is means victory as a color. It's, it's more aggressive. It's more, I don't know, red as opposed to blue. Sure, yeah. I mean, it, it's whatever. It's fine. It's not as cool as black, um, but yeah. Uh, anyway. Or Rogue. Yeah, well, yeah, Rogue is, that's, the, we all know Rogue Squadron is the coolest by far. Oh, I mean, I can't wait for us to get to the Rogue Squadron comics. Those <laughs> rule. Those are some of the fondest memories I have of reading Star Wars comics as a kid, of the Rogue Squadron stuff. Um, hey, who's this guy? Uh, that's Blue Leader. Don't worry about him. <laughs> he just, he just, he, he, he gets such a face, I'm going, man, I've seen that movie so many times, this face doesn't look familiar to me at all. Hi, everybody! Yeah. But this is also a cut scene from the movie where on the next page, we have Biggs introducing Luke to Blue Leader here. Yeah. And Blue Leader saying, Skywalker, of course. I once knew your father. He was a great pilot and a Jedi. I know about Jedis. That's a thing people know about. Hey, everybody. <laughs> I just imagine here. How are you doing? Uh, uh, Outer Rim, Skywalker, of course. I met your father once when I was just a boy. He was a great pilot. I can understand why you cut this, because there's already been mention of his father being a great pilot and a Jedi and stuff like that, so it is... I, I have to imagine they thought it was just extraneous, right? Like, does it really matter? Mm-hmm. We know it. We know it. Uh, Galax will be a lot better off when the sons of the original Jedi Knights are back on the scene. What? Yeah, I don't know. I the, my, the canon fandom in me is doing backflips trying to figure out how this could possibly make sense. 
could somebody have met Anakin Skywalker, Jedi Knight and pilot mm -hmm. during say the clone wars and knew about Anakin, but not his fall from grace. It's possible. Sure. That's an interesting. Could they hear the last name Skywalker and go, Oh shit. Are you Anakin's kid? He saved my ass in the clone wars. Yeah. Well, that's an interesting thing. How do people, people don't really know that Anakin is Darth Vader though. Right. In like the current canon, yeah, the there are maybe like five or six people that know and are alive during this period. Right. Okay. So yeah. So then yeah, Tarkin's put it together. You've got uh, the Emperor, obviously. Obi Wan. Obi Wan has put it together. Yeah. Uh, Yoda and depending on how far afield in the canon you want to get, uh, uh. Grand Admiral uh, Thrawn has put it together. And Ahsoka. And Ahsoka, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because she puts it together during Rebels, which takes place before this. Mm. So. Um, and actually Maul, for that matter. But oh. Maul is dead at this point. Maul is dead by this, yeah. Yeah. So. Uh, yeah, but it... So, less than a handful is what I'll say. Yeah. And But there are people who knew... Anakin Skywalker Definitely. as Jedi Knight. And the official records, I believe, state that Anakin dies saving the Emperor from Jedi traitors. That's the Imperial uh, official story. Well, that's that creates the interesting thing about the more like, hi hey man, when the Jedi make come back, is the, at least, well, although these are the rebels, so maybe they don't buy the official story, but the official story, right, is the, the Jedi overstepped their bounds and went crazy, right? That they tried to take over the Republic. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, I don't know. It's it's a weird thing, but nobody's thinking about that at the time. But then this um, this first panel in the second row here, we're back to squinty-eyed Pokemon character Luke. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And his page boy haircut is very Lord pronounced there. Lord. But well, I'll tell you what is glorious is, the, is Biggs' mustache, man. That is a Burt Reynolds-level mustache right there. Oh, yeah. What I find interesting in this issue is we vacillate back and forth between the Force being in air quotes or not. And I'm wondering what determines that. Sure, the Force. Yeah, the Force. But all the Rebels are saying it without quotes. Yeah, I know. It is weird. Also, there's so much more. Hey, I'm your best pal, Biggs. I'm totally going to die. Uh <laughs> Man, he puts such a target on his back in this sequence where he's just like, remember, I'll be your best pal forever. Yeah. Forever. 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 <laughs> Listen, you'll tell me all your stories when we come back, all right? Oh, I told yeah. you I'd make it. But yeah, you made it. It's going to be just like old times, little buddy. We're a couple of shooting stars that'll never be stopped. And oh, Biggs, you're so dead. <laughs> You got it, buddy. You know, uh, oh boy. I mean, it almost. We're gonna live forever. Hooray! I'm gonna just turn around and explode right now. Like, <laughs> he should die in a hangar incident at this point. <laughs> like, uh, he slips and falls on some grease left behind my 3PO and dies. Oh no. Um,. Who's this guy calling Luke Skyboy, too? What is this crap? Oh, he's just some engineer. It doesn't matter. I have no idea where this came from. Yeah. I don't know either, and they're putting R2 in. Now, this does speak to, once again, the way that he's just like, I don't know, this one looks pretty beat up. We'll just get you a new one. It does seem like only our main characters really care 
that uh, that the droids are like things they care about? Because this guy is just like, ah, who cares? Look, the acknowledgement of droid sentience is something that is almost never actively addressed in Star Wars and something we got to get real used to real fast. Yep. Because, yeah, the droids are people, but most of the characters do not consider them that. No, because this guy is just like, whatever. You want me to swap this out? He's like, no, I care about that. And the guy's like, okay. <laughs> yeah, that'd be like you saying, but I really am, have grown attached to my garbage can. Why would you offer to give me a new one? Oh, <laughs> we've been through so much together. Uh, yeah. uh, <laughs> my refrigerator means so much to me. I don't care that it leaks and the ice machine doesn't work anymore. He's my friend! Uh, That's how most people treat droids in the Star Wars universe. <laughs> the only difference is we as an audience have attachments to the characters, so those people seem like real scumbags to me. Yeah, exactly. We know that they're, I mean, like, especially somebody like 3PO is like, that guy has a lot of complex emotions and... I don't know. Oh, he's a nervous wreck. <laughs> I've never understood why you would want a droid that has like serious neuroses and an undiagnosed anxiety problem. And uh, <laughs> oh, sir, yeah. ever since you got me that Paxil prescription, I felt so much better. Uh, <laughs> anyway, so yeah, here we go. On now we're on our page. final page. We got the commanders and Leia around that big glowy table. We've got the X-Wings taking off and we've got them heading towards their final confrontation with the Death Star mm -hmm. as, in fact, the Death Star begins to close in. And Though we don't actually see that. Roy Thomas can't not give us some more the muted, gruesome animal cries which naturally permeate the strange moon world are overwhelmed by the thundering din of four ion rockets. God. Which, why is it just four? If I'm remembering correctly, there's like 30 starships that go out from the Rebel base. Yeah, he's focusing on a single uh, X-Wing, right? Which has the four exhaust... I but... I guess, yeah. As a stream of silver starships catapult from the foliage in a tight formation to disappear into the morning cloud cover. John Hausman <laughs> narrating Roy Thomas's Star Wars, folks. Uh, yeah. Now it's do or die, and next issue, the final chapter? Well, at least of this retelling of... <laughs> the Star Wars movie A New Hope, Talk for sure. About, uh, snub fighters. Are these shrunk down X-Wings? They don't feel as long as a... As a uh... Well, those were the mini kits that you can get, you know, the, the Lego sets that are only like, like four or five dollars. They do look like that. <laughs> uh, I was about to say. Uh, they seem shorter than the quote-unquote real X-Wings I was about to say. Um, <laughs> yeah. Once again, I have seen in person, so I know they're real, man. I saw one. I was right next to I saw one. I was there. I, saw, I touched it. I saw Chewie working on That was one of the most exciting moments of my life, was walking into that park and just casually seeing Chewbacca with a toolkit out fixing the engine of an X-Wing and like it's real everything i thought was real um anyway yeah so yeah that was issue number five of star wars yeah uh, what's gonna happen do you think the rebels are gonna make it out alive on this one john i think there might just be a chance but if anything something tells me it will take an extremely long time uh mm, and, and maybe one lucky shot we shall yeah, see yeah 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 Ugh. <laughs> I'm almost done with this. 
We're almost out of the adaptation of A New Hope. Obviously, episode number seven is when things are going to start getting interesting. Thank you so much, whoever's listening slash watching, for bearing with us through the adaptation. It is interesting to see the changes and modifications, or the lack thereof, made to this story at the time of it becoming the phenomenon that it was going to become. And of course, our apologies to all you Roy Thomas devotees out there, but my God, the man. <laughs> oh, I'm really looking forward to Roy Thomas fan 420 in the comments, <laughs> just really tearing oh, into yeah. us. That man was a legend. And the thing is, dude, if you want to talk about Savage Sword of Conan, I'm all there for you. But this, mm -hmm. oh. some of that purple prose works in Conan, I think, actually. Oh, yeah. But that's a whole other podcast, yeah. because right now uh, you can, of course, support us via a whole mess of ways. Uh, one of the best ways you can support us is by leaving a review on whatever podcasting service you are listening slash watching us to. Uh, if you're watching us on YouTube, make sure to uh, dongle the toggles down below. Smash that subscribe button. Hit that like. Uh, get the little bell to let you know yeah. whenever the newest episodes of this show and all of the shows over on the Punch-Up Entertainment Network, of which we are a part, uh, drop on this feed. Um, shows like Panel Up, where John and I discuss pop culture stuff uh, shows like material components components where i host a DD game shows like the action shelf where john campbell and michael listman talk about crappy b action movies that have a lot in similar with the comics we've been reading here thus far right. in terms of pacing and general structure yeah <laughs> Uh, yeah, so be sure to check all that out, and you can also, of course, get exclusive content over on our patron page, patron.podbean.com slash punchup. Yes, indeed. Well, until next time, dear listener, may the panel be with you. Uh -huh.